Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. December 2nd, 7.10 p.m. Clayton couldn't put it off any longer. He had to take his chances. He dragged out fixing the phone line breaks, hoping Magnus and Andy would hit the trails for a snowmobile run. No such luck. They weren't leaving the mansion, so he had to figure out how to work around them. He rolled his mop bucket into the lounge. Magnus sat in his leather chair that faced the big picture window. Andy the asshole was relaxing in a neighboring chair. A chessboard sat on the table between them. Hey, Clayton, Andy said. Get in here and clean up this pigsty, will ya? Clayton looked around the lounge. Dirty plates were everywhere, as were empty beer cans and two empty bottles of Yukon Jack. The jerks hadn't bothered to pick up one damn thing all day. They just tossed their trash around as if this were some flophouse. You boys even bothered to get up to hit the crapper? Or did you just fling your poo around like the fucking gorillas you are? Andy raised his whiskey glass. Maybe that can be arranged. Maybe you can kiss my ass, you little freak. The place is a bit dirty, Magnus said. You sick or something, old man? Clayton snorted, his fear forgotten in a brief burst of anger. I've been freezing my nuts off all goddamn day, and I come back to this. I think I'll clean up the rest of the place first so you two rump rangers can sit in your own stink for a bit more. Magnus slowly turned in his chair to look back at Clayton. I think you're getting old, he said. Might have to get someone out here to replace you. You want to fire me, fire me. Until then, I got work to do. I'll start in the security room. Clayton rolled the mop bucket out of the lounge and headed straight for the stairs. Maybe they'd keep playing that chess game, keep drinking. He had to take a shot now when he knew exactly where those two were. He carried the heavy mop bucket down to the bottom of the back stairs. Once there, he rolled it to the security room and opened the door. Gunther was sitting in the swivel chair, feet up on the counter, eyes closed in a catnap. The eyes fluttered open when Clayton walked in. Gunther sat up quickly, as if he'd been caught doing something wrong. When he saw Clayton, he smiled, a smile that quickly turned into a yawn. Shit, Clayton, you scared me. I thought you were Magnus. Don't worry about it. He's up in the lounge getting hammered with Andy. Hey, I finished Hot Midnight, best of all the three books. Gunther smiled. You finished it already? Yeah, I liked it. Your main character chick reminded me of Liz Taylor. Liz was a hot one, let me tell you, like the backdoor action. Gunther laughed and shook his head. Whatever, Clayton, but thanks for reading my book. No problem. You'll have the common decency, of course, not to mention to anyone I'm reading a vampire romance novel. 
Of course. You got talent, Clayton said. More than those fuck stains you call your friends. He lifted his head to the ceiling, indicating the lounge. Gunther rubbed his eyes. Those aren't my friends, Clayton. I served with them, but this is just a job. Man, I'm beat. Been doing 16 hours a day. What, down here? Magnus has me and Colding taking 10-hour shifts up in the fire watchtower, eyeballing for anyone flying in. Andy only has to do four hours at a time, the damn brown noser. Is that right? So Colding's up in the tower right now? Gunther nodded. Yeah, probably freezing his ass off. Nothing quite like being 30 feet off the ground in a tin shack in the dead of winter. Why is Magnus making you guys do that? Gunther shrugged. He thinks Dante might arrive at any second. Wants to make sure we talk him in. Another huge yawn opened Gunther's mouth. Jeez, Arthur, man. Go grab some coffee from the kitchen. Magnus will never know you're gone. I'll keep an eye on the screens for you, eh? Yeah, coffee would be great. You sure you know how to work this stuff? Who the hell do you think used it before you all got here? Gunther smiled, stretched, then stood and walked out of the room, shutting the door behind him. Clayton sat at the desk and moved the mouse. On the screen, the spinning Janata logo disappeared, replaced by the desktop's blue background and a login window. Clayton typed in his username and password. The computer let out a sudden beep. The words invalid password flashed on the screen. He closed the window and accessed the administration program. Clayton loved Black Manitou, but never for a moment forgot that if something went wrong, his son was the only reliable connection to the outside world. Because of that, Clayton made sure he fully understood the secure terminal and the jammer controls, everything that had anything to do with communications on the island. I'm not as old and dumb as I look, you big bald fuck. Clayton had long ago used the admin program to make himself a super user, able to override any password protection. He logged in with the password 0001, his fancy password, and the system came to life. He kept an eye on the security screens. Gunther was walking to the kitchen. Andy and Magnus were still hard at whiskey-fueled chess. Now or never. He clicked the icon marked Houghton and waited. Come on, Clayton whispered. Be home, son. Please be home. After an agonizing ten seconds that seemed a silent eternity, the screen flashed once, then showed Gary's face. Dad, what's up? I need you here right away. The weather's bad, Pops. I don't dare take the boat out now. Magnus blew up the plane. He's killing people. Gary blinked a few times. This better not be another one of your tall tales, Dad. Clayton shook his head. Most of the crew is dead. Sarah and Tim made it out. He finds them. They're dead, too. Gary's eyes narrowed, and his jaw muscles twitched. Tell me what to do, Dad. Clayton felt a sudden swell of pride. Gary didn't look like a little boy anymore, or like a stoner. Clayton's son suddenly looked like a man. I hid them in the church, Clayton said. Come in quiet with no lights. Get them. Take them back to the mainland. Will you be with them? I gotta get you out of there. Never mind about me, eh? I've got to watch out for some other people. Get Sarah and Tim off the island, and I'm not gonna listen to another word about it, you understand? Gary nodded. Should I call the cops? Clayton scratched his beard. Not yet. 
Do it when you get them two back. If the local cops show up, even if the fucking army shows up, Magnus could do anything. Gary took a deep breath, then let it out slow. Okay, here's the deal. I can't come tonight. That's just plain suicide. Storms are tearing the lake up. We're talking wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald weather out there. It's supposed to die down a little tomorrow. Not much, but I'll risk it. I'll time it to arrive just after dark. Can you wait that long? Gary knew boating, knew the weather. There was a limit to how much risk Clayton expected out of his son. Yeah, that'll have to do. Be careful. Magnus has the jammer on full time, so you won't be able to radio in, and I won't be able to warn you if someone's waiting for you. It could be dangerous. Dangerous? You really think so? I think you're a smartass. Your face is a smartass. The kid was making jokes. Jokes for Clayton's sake. Gary was the one acting like a parent, trying to ease a child's fear. It's okay, Gary. I've been through worse. When you get to the church, give two flashes with a flashlight. I love you, son. I love you too, Dad. Clayton broke the connection and logged out. Seconds later, he was mopping away. He had the floor half done by the time Gunther walked back into the room, a steaming mug of coffee in his hand. December 3rd, 6.05 a.m. A shadowy figure slipped out of the shed behind Sven Ballantyne's barn. The shed's heat had saved his life, but he couldn't stay there forever. He walked toward the house, limping, every step painful from the burns, the bruises, and the frostbite. He hadn't eaten in days. His wounds needed proper care. They'd be infected soon if they weren't already. And those things. He'd seen them bring down a cow, tear it to pieces. Besides, surely Magnus didn't want him dead. That made no sense, so it simply could not be true. He had to get back to the mansion, where they had all those guns. He passed the front of the barn. It gaped open. He saw no movement. Carefully, quietly, he looked inside. Filled with snowdrifts, but other than that, nothing. Well, almost nothing. No cows, no people, nothing but scattered hay, broken stalls, and piles of feces everywhere he looked. He picked up one of the frozen piles and examined the stool. What he saw almost made him cry. He left the barn and limped toward the house, looking everywhere for any sign of movement. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. 
So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. December 3rd, 6.34 a.m. Remember, Gary will give two flashes, Clayton told Sarah. You answer with two. Anything else and you lay low. It'll be cold, but you need to stay in the bell tower and watch for him. She nodded. So much sadness in that girl's eyes. Clayton wondered what it felt like to lose all your friends in one shot. He'd lost most of his, and two wives, and a daughter, but gradually, over many years. Sven was his only friend left alive. Sarah put her hand on his shoulder. We can't thank you enough. Clayton started to say, don't worry about it but she grabbed his face and gave him a fast kiss, then threw her arms around him and squeezed. Clayton stood dumb for a moment, then returned her hug. She let go and wiped away a tear. He locked the church door behind himself. No one would miss the heater, kerosene, or supplies he'd stolen for Sarah. Still, this was all crazy risky. He'd left footprints in the snow, but that couldn't be avoided. He could only hope that anyone shooting by on a snowmobile wouldn't stop to look around. Clayton breathed a sigh of relief when he finally climbed into Ted Nugent's heated cab. He put the motor in gear and moved down the trail. He'd finished grooming the road and trails just to keep up appearances. He passed James and Stephanie's place. Had they been up and on their porch, Clayton could have waved. But he saw no motion at the Harvey's house. Apparently, Early morning on this freezing island was a time only for old fools. The BV's heavy sled dragged across the six inches of fresh snow, compacting it into a perfectly groomed surface. Clayton turned on the CD player. Some old Bob Seeger would be just the thing. He turned northeast, which would take him within sight of Rabelgee Bay. Just southwest of Rabelgee Bay, the Harvey's phone line connected to the main line. Clayton checked the latest repair map and drove to the break. A fallen tree leaned against one of the phone lines. Both ends of the line were still connected, which meant a crack in the line. An easy, quick fix. Clayton got out of the BV and pulled the chainsaw out of the back section. Poland, the only kind he'd buy and use. He expertly cut the tree so it fell off the phone line. He climbed into the aerial lift bucket and raised himself to the brake. The vantage point gave him a clear view of Rappelgee Bay. At first, he didn't notice anything. Then his eyes caught a few strange, snow-covered bumps out on the ice, some marked with high, curling drifts. Wreckage. Had he just been sightseeing, however, he might have missed the bumps entirely, or at least dismissed them as chunks of ice. Even if Magnus did drive by, he probably wouldn't notice. Just a few more hours, hopefully, and Gary would get Sarah and Tim off the island. Clayton turned his attention to fixing the landline unaware of the hungry eyes that followed his every move. Three ancestors reached the edge of the trail. Their bellies were full. They felt sleepy. But the food was almost gone. They had to find more. A noisy thing had drawn them, pulling them through the woods with the promise of new prey. They stared at it a new shape that made a steady sound much like a low, angry growl. It smelled like the stick that killed. But it also 
smelled like food. Two of them started to move forward, but Baby McButter flicked her sailfin up and down fast, telling them to stop. This thing smelled too much like the stick. Her two brothers backed up and lowered themselves into the snow, so that only their eyes peeked out above the white surface. Movement, up high, on top of a skinny tree. That was prey. That was food. The skinny tree bent in on itself, lowering the prey back down to the noisy thing. Then the prey climbed inside the noisy thing. The noisy thing started running away. Baby McButter flipped her dorsal fin high and held it there, signaling them all to move in. Thick arms plowed through deep snow as they closed the distance. The noisy thing started out slow, but then picked up speed. Baby McButter roared in anger and ran faster, but the noisy thing had heard them and was escaping. She slowed to a trot, then stopped. Her belly was too full. She couldn't run fast enough. As she watched the noisy thing fade away, she understood why it could move so quickly. No trees here, just a long, wide-open space that led deeper into the woods. The noisy thing liked the wide-open space. To Baby McButter's right, one of her brothers let out a low, mournful moan. No food. Soon they would be hungry, and hunger was the worst sensation any of them had ever experienced. They sat down and waited. Prey had come this way. Prey would come again. December 3rd, 8.15 a.m. Sarah carried a blanket. She stayed behind Tim, letting him take his time going up the narrow stairs. The crutch helped him walk, but his knee was still pretty messed up. This is stupid, he said. I should just stay in the preparatory room. Did this guy ever stop bitching? Just climb. You have to take shifts up on the bell tower, Tim. Sooner or later, I have to sleep. Tim sighed and continued up the stairs that led from the back of the altar up to the choir loft. The walls were barely wider than his narrow shoulders. Sarah wondered how small people were back when the church had been built, what, two centuries ago? Tim made it to the choir loft. Now what? Sarah pointed down the loft to a ladder near the church's front wall. Right there. Figure out how to climb it. I'm not going to carry you. Just because you kept me alive doesn't mean you're not a surly bitch. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. Just get up there. Tim Crutch walked to the ladder. The choir loft was made from the same black stone as the church's walls, but with an ornate wooden railing. She looked over that rail down on the dilapidated church proper below. The place must have been beautiful once. Tim managed to climb up the 20-foot wrought iron ladder. He made way more noise than necessary, taking great pains to show Sarah just how difficult it was for him. She slung the blanket over her shoulder and followed him up, going out the trap door. The turret was about ten feet in diameter, ringed by four stone pillars rising up from a waist-high stone wall to support the witch's hat roof. Sarah shivered as wind cut through the open turret. This was probably the coldest place on the island. Tactically, though, they couldn't possibly do any better. 
She could see the entire town and even down the trail that led to the harbor. Thick stone walls would stop small arms fire. Fate had put her in the most defensible spot on Black Manitou. Except, of course, if Magnus decided to use the stinger. Okay, Tim said. Mission accomplished. Now can I go back down? I'm freezing. She tossed him the blanket. Nope. As of right now, you're on the clock. Gary won't come until tonight, but we have to keep an eye out for anyone approaching our position. Get comfy and keep watch. I'll relieve you in four hours. Come on, Sarah. I'll freeze up here, and I need a drink. A vision of Tim trying to get the syringe needle into the vial flashed in her head. Had he given the cow the right dosage? Had a drunken mistake cost the lives of Cappy, Alonzo, and Miller? You've had enough to drink, Sarah said. You pull your own weight, Feely, or else. He started to complain, but she ignored him and went back down. December 3rd, 9.30 p.m. Mother duck fucking motherfucker, Andy said, then gently set the phone back in the cradle. This was turning into a crusty turded shitstorm and fast. How the hell was it even possible? He sprinted out of the security room, up the stairs, and into the lounge. Magnus sat there, fresh bottle of Yukon Jack in hand, staring blankly out the picture window at the blustery winter night. Magnus, we got a big problem. Rubecorf just called in. Magnus turned sharply in his chair. Andy took an unconscious step back. If you're bullshitting me, Crossweight, I'll give you a million dollars right now. Andy shook his head. No bullshit. He called from Sven's place. Magnus stared for a second, then turned to once again face the window. He took a long swig of whiskey, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. Andy shuffled from foot to foot, waiting for orders. Magnus finally stood. He capped the bottle and set it on a table. Have you seen Clayton? Andy shook his head. Not lately. Who's in the watchtower? Gunther, Andy said. Colding's probably sleeping in his room. Go get Colding. Tell him Roomkorf called in. You don't know what's going on because Roomkorf is supposed to be on the plane. Both of you go to Sven's house. Before you get there, kill Colding. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. No problem, Andy said. And then what? You take Colding's Beretta. You kill Roomkorf. You kill Sven. When you come back down the trail, you kill James and Stephanie Harvey. The woman. Hell yeah. He could save her for last. Take his time. He felt an iron hand on his neck before he even saw Magnus move. Fuck, but that guy was fast. Andy stayed calm and stood very, very still, as his boss leaned in so close Andy could smell Yukon Jack breath. We're in a bit of a pickle here, Andy. All the evidence has to point toward Colding. So if you go dipping your wick in Stephanie Harvey, that will leave evidence that is not from Colding. I'll make this so clear, even a twisted pervert like you gets it. You shoot her. You don't touch her. Do you understand? Blink once for no, twice for yes. Andy blinked twice. 
If Roomcorp lived, we assume the others did too. They have to be hiding somewhere. So do the only thing you're good at. Kill everyone you see. This is a good strategy, Andy. If you agree, blink twice. If you disagree, blink once. But if you blink once, I'm going to crush your windpipe, then sit here and sip whiskey while you lie on the floor and slowly suffocate. Andy blinked twice. Magnus let him go. Andy felt oxygen flood into his lungs. He blinked twice more, just to be sure he'd got the message across. Now move, Magnus said. Andy ran for the door, headed for Colding's room. December 3rd, 9.41 p.m. Ten minutes after Roomcorf's call, P.J. Colding held his snowmobile throttle wide open. Andy was on a sled right behind him, the two of them shooting down Clayton's groomed trails. Headlights played off trees that whipped by as blurs of green and brown and white. Colding's mind raced even faster than the snowmobile. How could Roomcorf be back? Colding had watched the plane take off. Nothing had landed since then. Had the C-5 crashed? If Roomcorp survived, chances were Sarah had as well. But if she had, why hadn't she contacted him? Because she didn't trust him. That was the only thing that made sense. Andy, or Magnus, had sabotaged the C-5 somehow, and Sarah had crashed it on Black Manitou. Not landed, but crashed, as the landing strip was the only place to safely bring down a plane that big. Colding had sent her up. If Sarah had survived, she'd think he had betrayed her right alongside Magnus and Andy. He had to find her, explain things. But more important, he had to save her from Magnus, which dictated only one sickening course of action. Killing Andy Crossweight. First Andy, then Magnus. Colding wondered if he'd be able to pull the trigger. No, that was the type of comment someone might mumble in a badly written movie. He could do it. He would do it. He wanted to get as far away as possible from the mansion and Magnus before making his move. Maybe Roomcorp could provide enough of a distraction to let Colding slip behind Andy unseen. Andy was a trained killer. Colding knew he'd only get one shot. He had to make it count. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. 
As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. 